Hey, Britney fans, you're listening to That Britney Podcast with your hostesses, Erin and Casey. We're so excited to talk to you about all things Britney and Britney adjacent, beginning with her memoir, The Woman and Me. To open this week's episode, we would like to address the fact that we've received thousands of emails expressing the same concern. However, we would like to highlight one email in particular. Sandy Frank, dental hygienist from Santa Fe, says, Casey and Aaron, I love you and I love your podcast. But why is it taking you so damn long to come out with new episodes? Oh, dear listeners, thank you again so much for your aggressively positive feedback. And we're so happy that you're also invested in the book. We would love to get through the book at a faster pace. However, we are high, high, high level corporate business women. Our schedules simply do not allow for us to be putting out episodes hand over fist. Sorry, everyone. We will get through this as quickly as we can, but we're also trying to savor each chapter. Um. (laughs) You wouldn't believe the amount of businesswomen specials that I have consumed. <laughs> Do you know oh, that I, I also invented post-its? <laughs> How many mini skirt suits you have donned at local eateries? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I cut my foot earlier and my shoe is filling up with blood. <laughs> I, I swear to God, that is one of my favorite lines from that movie. <laughs> if you're not getting these references, please do yourself a favor. Stop the podcast immediately and find some way to watch Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Go now. Run. Anyway, back to the book. Chapter 7 opens with Brittany auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club for the second time, and she books it. She basically describes Mickey Mouse Club as a boot camp for the entertainment industry. I do have to say, she, of course, talks very little about Mickey Mouse Club, about her experience. As we know, both you and I could read an entire book about the Mickey Mouse Club, right? Yes. So Mm -hmm. the fact that it's just like a blip is so frustrating to me yeah you know I did find that I wanted more of the behind the scenes these are the stories of what happened while I was on the Mickey Mouse Club with this who's who list of A-list names from our generation Ryan Gosling Carrie Russell guys Felicity she was on the Mickey Mouse Club with Felicity I could talk for an hour just about that. It's also interesting how her two best friends on the show happen to be the two that are not household names. Okay, so I just needed to get eyes on these two and their names are Tony. That was her crush. And then her best gal pal on the set was named Nikki. And so I was like, okay, Okay, I'm I'm on a, if I'm on a show with Justin and Ryan and JC and my crush is Tony. Who is this Tony? So I looked him up. Tony's pretty cute, guys. Tony Luca. His name is Tony 
Luca. He's also quite a bit older than she is. Yeah, he he seems like he would have been like the Danny Zuko of the bunch. And I'm not just saying that because of the names. Yep, he's he's definitely wearing a leather jacket. I, I totally agree with your point about just wanting more gossip, I guess, for lack of a better term. I just want more stories about the Mickey Mouse Club just because I watched it obsessively. <laughs> and I would love to know what was going on with Christina Aguilar. You guys share a dressing room. I gotta know more. Tell me more. So two things. First, as I was reading this and so incredibly frustrated that there is not a lot of Mickey Mouse Club information out there. I'm like, do we need, is our next project a documentary about Mickey Mouse Club? Behind the Mouse. Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna have to do a Disney expose as to why all of these 90s child stars have been silenced. I I mean, I would watch that documentary. Okay, the other thing that okay, so you mentioned that you watched a lot of Mickey Mouse Club. Yes. What I would like to say for the listeners who might not know about the Disney Channel. The Disney Channel in the 90s was a paid or a paid uh, you had to pay for the channel and yeah it was like premium cable if you had if your parents paid for the disney channel you were wealthy in my mind if you had like people didn't just willy-nilly buy extra channels like we do today um no and I don't think it was an easy process there was like a 900 number 800 number that would like flash on the bottom of the screen that you had to call in order to set up the service but here's what would happen once or twice a year the Disney Channel would go live for free for a week I did not have the Disney Channel I only watched Disney Channel when it was that week of free Disney Channel and I was crisscross applesauce sitting too close to the television mm-hmm. my chin on my hands just drinking it all in but the fact that you just said that you watched a lot of Mickey Mouse Club mm-hmm. did you have the Disney Channel yes <sighs> times throughout childhood we would have the disney channel but you better believe that my mom monitored how much we were watching it like a hawk because the second she felt like we weren't getting our money's worth she was like disney's disney's out disney's out yes i i loved the mickey mouse club i loved this version of it i loved the black and white version of it that they showed in the daytime Absolutely. And they also had a generation before this of slightly older kids earlier in the 90s. So this is like the most famous iteration of the Mickey Mouse Club. But I also think that people out there need to know there were many Mickey Mouse Clubs that came before. My mom used to rent us. um, Well, I say us. It was just me. Like a VHS from the video from Blockbuster that was like a 50s, an episode of the 1950s Mickey Mouse Club. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it was black and white, but they had their sweaters with their names embroidered on the sweaters and Annette Funicello. I mean, I guess it was, it's similar to what the version ended up being, but there was almost like a Mr. Rogers-esque, like they would go to like, factories and watch how things were made or they'd go to a farm and like learn about farming but then there would be some singing and dancing and 
I just, that was, it was a part of my childhood watching these, the original Mickey Mouse Club. It's so good. And it becomes this precursor to all of the beach blanket bingo type of movies that come after that with Frankie and Annette, which are also so good. So there's, Thank there's you, Mickey a, Mouse Club. yes, there is a, a long and storied history with just the Mickey Mouse Club that I, again, we might need to make a documentary. Okay, so even though there's not a lot of information here about the Mickey Mouse Club, um, she does talk a little bit about how they started to form cliques and it was kind of the younger kids versus the older kids. And that this is where she formed friendships with Christina and Justin. We do get a few glimpses of kind of the friendship or perhaps budding relationship with Justin Timberlake. Um, She talks about how not long after starting to film the Mickey Mouse Club, Lynn's mother Lily dies and they don't have enough money to fly home. And Justin's mom Lynn Harless, bless her heart, lends them the plane fare to go home. And what I think about that as a reader is, thank God we finally have a Lynn that we can get behind. Thank you, Lynn Harless. I think you seem like an all right lady. I 100% agree with that. I, I need to read Justin's memoir. He needs to get on that because I I just have this feeling that his mom is a saint. I could be wrong. I just love her. I love her too, but he also seems to be an absolute monster. And it does make me worry as a boy mom, if you love your son too much, do you run the risk of creating a demon? But these are the questions that that the whole Lynn Harless thing makes me wonder. Is this aspirational or is this also perhaps a cautionary tale? I don't know because all of the all of the information that has come out about Justin's Timber Justin Timberlake's part in Britney Spears' story has really thrown me for a loop. I don't know what's what anymore. You're second guessing. Yeah, I can see but that. Lynn seems like a, a nice lady. We like Lynn. We like this Lynn better so far. We'll we'll leave yeah. it there. That's nice and this safe. Is- Yeah, this is the Lynn that we like. Can I ask you one last question with regard to the Lynn Harless, Justin Timberlake of it all? You had mentioned his hypothetical and forthcoming memoir. As a PR person, which you are, of course, among many other things, what is the appropriate amount of time to wait before Justin releases his retaliatory memoir of his own? That is a great question. I don't know that he ever will. Um, Can you? Yeah. I I don't think he will, even though I would love to read it. But at the same time, I'm like, I mean, I think he's learned his lesson. That's what I'll say. I think, you know, if we went by Crimea River, what goes around comes around. It is in his wheelhouse to have a little witty response. I think that he's learned his lesson. I don't think he's, I don't think he's ever going to address it, any of this. Because what would he possibly say? You, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's anything he can say. I think he's screwed. I, I mean, he could, he could do a ukulele apology. <laughs> Love how she has worked her way into 50% of our catalog. <laughs> I, I know too much about that woman. 
I do too, and I won't even say her name because I do not support her. Bad. <laughs> I know, but I, I mean, and that I think that that's actually a really good example. What can Colleen Ballinger, what can she do or say? She's in a position where every single thing that is going to come out of her mouth is going to be wrong. Yeah, that's true, I guess. And when you're in situations like this, you know, I I just, I do suppose that the one thing that she hasn't done is formally apologize to the people involved. And that's really what everyone's waiting for. But I do know that she's working with a lawyer legally if she apologizes she's admitting to doing these things and I think it puts her in a tricky legal position so I think these these apologies in this day and age apologies are really hard to do you're kind of you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't and I kind of think that that's the position that Justin is in currently especially with these reports surfacing about how aren't they in talks to do a second memoir because the first one has been such a hit the publishing i think the publishing people and yes i didn't know that there have been rumblings i don't think that anything official has been announced but it does make sense that with the popularity and the press that this first memoir has garnered and with so many Stories left to tell, I guess we'll say, with so much information that we've kind of not complained about, but have noted that, you know, we wish would be in there. Maybe this is a chance to like kind of fill some some gaps or tell us what happened with Sam or who knows. But so in the words of Brittany, give me, give me more, give me, give me more. Gorgeous, gorgeously put. Yes. Um, so then Brittany mentions another story where they had a sleepover and during the sleepover, they played truth or dare and Justin and Brittany were dared to kiss. And then it says that they kissed with Janet Jackson playing in the background. Okay. So if we place this in history, this is probably around 1995, 1996, because we know that they're on the the Mickey Mouse Club between 93 and 96, right? I mean, so that's what I'm guessing. So I'm guessing that the Janet Jackson song that's playing in the background probably comes from the self-titled album Janet, which includes her mega hits like If, that's the way love goes. So that's kind of like the picture that I have painted in my head about what this scene looks and sounds like. I think they're younger. I think they're like 13. <gasps> oh, so this is like Rhythm Nation in the background? Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> Most romantic is, song to kiss to. Rhythm Nation. Love would never do without you in the background. <laughs> this leads me to a, a question. Who in the hell is allowing these kids to have a boy-girl sleepover? It's either one of two explanations. One is it's all Lynn Spears' fault, which it probably is. And two, it might be a situation where perhaps it starts off as a co-ed, like, nighttime party and then the boys are supposed to all leave at a certain point. I would like to think that that's what's happening. I can get behind that. See, that's why we need a documentary. Okay, so ultimately she speaks very highly of her Mickey Mouse Club experience and it basically 
reinforces that singing and dancing is what she is passionate about. When the Mickey Mouse Club is over, she ends up going back to Louisiana for a little bit of normalcy. And oh boy, I feel like the rest of this chapter is anything but normal. This next part of the book was actually one of the passages that was leaked prior to the book's release. But when Brittany was in eighth grade, she would go on vacations with her mom to the beach and they would drink together. And they called their drinks toddies. And then she says, by 13, I was drinking with my mom and smoking with my friends. I feel like we need to unpack that a little bit. One of the lines on page 40, as we drive, I'd sip on a little bitty white Russian in the car as they're driving to the beach. And it's, it is a little bit disconcerting that she writes about this experience drinking at 13 with her mother and her baby sister in tow as one of the happiest times in her childhood and maybe in her entire life. Yeah. This is, this is a no, the calls coming from inside the house. I just, I don't know. The whole thing is very odd to me. I, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, is this a, is this just one of those small town type things where it's like, there's not a lot to do. Kids get into trouble younger than they do in the suburbs or I don't, I don't know. I'm grasping at straws here, but it is something that I thought as I was reading basically all of the book through this chapter and, and beyond, is this like a cultural, is, is part of this a cultural thing that I don't understand because I didn't grow up in a small rural town in the South where everyone knows each other and kids learn how to drive stick shifts when they're, you know, nine years old. And I, I do think you're onto something. I, I do. And then when you just said that, that made me think too, was this happening with Lynn? Did Lynn drink with her mom when she was 13? So that's why Lynn thought it was okay. Could That could be another option of what's going on here. Yes, yes. You do wonder how much of it is kind of that weird codependent lonely mom with a impressionable daughter who just wants to hang out and have fun it's it is also interesting how you know her image when she first came out this mixture of incredibly young and very innocent but also very sexy but it's just interesting that there's this whole other version of her this real version of her that smokes and drinks and you know lost her virginity young and and no judgment on any of that but it is interesting and she goes on to explain how her public persona that doesn't include any of that real stuff and we we know why it wouldn't but how that was all invented for her you know it's just interesting to to, to read about these experiences that she's having at this very young age of drinking with her mom and smoking with her friends and making out with boys and other stuff. And it's just like, this is not at all what we were presented. And it's so vastly different from the celebrity version of her. I thought that that was really interesting and it totally aligns with what she's telling us all throughout the book about the distance between her real self and her public self. And that's got to be so difficult to be one person and then expected to present something present totally different. And what a, an internal battle that must have been for her. I can't imagine that that would be fun. Uh, well, and maybe it started off as fun, but 
you know, after years and years and years of having to present yourself a certain way that doesn't represent who you actually are, um, yeah. it's gotta be heavy on you. Yeah. And then as the cracks do start to show later in her career, where you start to see her being swarmed by the paparazzi at gas stations and she's not wearing flip-flops and she gets absolutely blasted for that and she's smoking cigarettes and you know she's on the cover of tabloids for all these different things that weren't originally part of her public persona and we absolutely crucified her for all of them so it makes sense that I I mean I I love it I I totally agree okay so then here we have another car accident are we surprised so basically Britney's Britney is 13 and she is driving her mom home from the store I want to circle back to that but Lynn is in the car and she smells smoke she accuses Britney of smoking and grabs Britney's hand to smell it and this causes them to spin out and hit a telephone pole and nobody was hurt but it sounds like if they hit the telephone pole differently it would have ended very badly here's my question though why is Brittany a 13 year old driving her mom home from the store if i was a betting gal i would probably guess that lynn was inebriated that's what i read yeah yeah also correct me if i'm wrong Lynn was involved in a car accident that resulted in the death of a child. What? I'm going to fact check this really quickly, but I think that it is relevant that we keep this in mind. Right. Oh my gosh. This, I mean, would it, would, that would not surprise me in the least. Lynn Spears was 20 years old at the time and ran over 12-year-old Anthony Winters while he rode his bike in Kentwood, Louisiana. Resulting in a fatality? Yes, she ran him over with her car as he was riding his bike down the road. Okay, okay. So, you know, I think that it's relevant to have this story, this incredibly tragic story, in the back of our minds. As we're thinking about the implications of having this in your past and then having your 13-year-old child drive you in a car, it's too much. Like, my brain can't take it. This woman is bad. This is a bad woman. I just, I I can't get over the amount of car, car accidents and car fatalities manslaughter i just you know i am against the conservatorship obviously but it is very easy to see why anyone around britney would not want her to be driving their all of their licenses should be taken i don't want anyone in this family to ever ever get behind the wheel of anything be it bumper car be it Tesla. I don't care. I don't even want you on a Razor scooter. No wheels for you. You have lost your wheel privileges. All right. So this next part is something else. I very definition of shock and awe. Um, Brittany starts talking about how she's still 13 years old and she says that she became, and I quote, precocious when it came to boys, which I think is very common at this age. The hormones are racing. I was super boy crazy in general, but 13, I was definitely boy crazy. But she talks about having a crush on this guy who is five years 
older than she is. And then she tells this story about how she's spending the night at her friend's house. And this guy who is 18 to 19 years old, randomly sneaks into this house at 3 a.m. Brittany is sleeping on the couch. He wakes her up and starts kissing her. That whole scenario sounds like teenage fan fiction. Do you know what I mean? Like I was at a sleepover at Teresa's house and I went to sleep and then I woke up and Daniel was there. And but you know what I mean? Like sounds like very like Sweet Valley High. 100%. Like, and it would happen to Jessica, not Elizabeth. But that is a Jessica storyline. Yes. So I'm like, already, this does not sound like real life, but maybe things are different in Kentwood. I like that better, that this is just a made-up story. Because if it isn't a made-up story, this is statutory rape. Then it's a felony. So that's worse. You're right. Yes, I agree with you that that is much worse. (laughs) here's the thing if Britney wasn't who Britney was precocious with boys and whatnot had this happened to somebody who did not want this this is a very bad situation a very this is bad assault basically I think is what we call it nowadays I think this is I think this is classified as sexual assault it's not there's no consent involved which which is mandatory she's (laughs) she is 13 she is 13 and he is she said between 18 and 19 she didn't know but yeah and that is so gross by the way all of it but for any of our younger listeners and again we have already mentioned this but we have so many gen alpha gen z listeners so for the younger gals out there if a boy or young man is interested in you and he is significantly older than you he's a loser and that has nothing to do with you but that has everything to do with the fact that adults are not interested in children in that way they should not be and if they are there is something wrong with them yes girl Amen. Please don't date pedophiles. Ladies, we love you and we want you to live. So go forth. Take that nugget. And yeah, yeah, I just, I, my, I could not believe this story. I was like, oh, this is bad. This is not good. Then she jumps to talking about how in ninth grade, she starts dating Brian's best friend who was 17. And in ninth grade, what, you're like 15, about 15. So 15, 16, 17. So she's only, there's only a two year difference here, but still he's 17. This is who she loses her virginity to. They start skipping classes to, I'm putting this in quotes, hang out. Um, And she ends up missing a total of 17 days of school by forging her mom's signature. What are your thoughts on that? As a parent, I'm not thrilled. Again, it really reinforces the distance between her public persona and her real life. This whole virgin thing was manufactured by her her team. And it, it yeah, it was just interesting to see it here in print because we already knew. I mean, that myth and that lore has long, long, long been dispelled. So that's not that's not the question, but it is interesting to see it in her words. And talk about the punishment not fitting the crime. 
wherein she's caught sneaking out to go visit the boyfriend and then Brian catches her and then he narks on her so the parents find out and they make her pick up garbage along the highway as a punishment and Brian follows her with the camera and makes fun of her and takes pictures genius (laughs) (laughs) Brian is the OG paparazzi I have heard of some evil shit that older siblings due to their younger ones but that is a new bar it sure is it sure is i mean creativity runs in the family if nothing else (laughs) well and the other thing that i keep thinking is britney was just in i'm assuming they filmed in florida on the mickey mouse club she's been on broadway she is she has had a thousand lives already so it really isn't a surprise to me that like she's coming from this fast-paced environment and she comes home to louisiana where nothing's going on she is kind of forced to create this heightened sense of reality in her hometown. And I think she's just looking for ways to to bring some drama and excitement into her life. Finally, she decides after all of this that she is ready to get back into performing. And Lynn reaches out to Larry Rudolph, who suggests that Britney record a demo. And this demo that they record gets her meetings with record labels in New York. Question, who is Larry Rudolph and why is Lynn contacting a lawyer to get her into the music industry? Also, is he even a lawyer? I need to fact check all of this. So I mean, I did look it up. Okay. And he was an entertainment lawyer. Okay. Which makes more sense because he clearly has some connections. But what is this man's experience with creating a pop superstar? He's like, what a weird, Larry is so weird to me. A man my mom had been in touch with that she'd met on my audition circuit. What the fuck are you doing on a child's audition circuit, Larry Rudolph, you weirdo? Right? Anyway, also, I'm really interested to know what this demo sounded like because apparently he had a song that Tony Braxton had recorded for her second album that ended up on the cutting room floor called, quote, Today. I want to hear that demo. We got to get our hands on that. Oh my God. So here's the thing that is fascinating to me. I feel like a Tony Braxton-esque catalog of songs is like the perfect fit for Britney's voice. And I'm like, God, what, what would I give to hear an album full of Britney doing Tony Braxton-esque music Desiree like let's get some soulful sexy god that's what I want to hear from Britney like something that really showcases her voice I feel like you completely changed my mind about Larry Rudolph who as you may recall I was very against about 30 seconds ago and now hearing this I'm like uh maybe Larry Rudolph is a genius when it comes to song choice and musical direction maybe he's the Randy Jackson of this story he could be he could be we'd like to go on record and say that Larry is not a genius we'd also like to formally and publicly apologize to Randy Jackson for that very insensitive and inaccurate comparison thank you but as we know this is not the direction that they went 
But God, I would love, I would love to hear, ah, I would love that. So that is it on chapter seven. Are you ready to jump into chapter eight? In the beginning portion of chapter eight, Larry takes Brittany around to sing for all of the music executives, including a guy at Jive who has a cute dog. She talks about the dog for maybe two pages. So we'll leave it at that. The the song she sings to the rooms full of these old men, these executives, is interestingly Whitney Houston's I Have Nothing. Now I've gone on record saying that to choose a Whitney Houston song is basically vocal suicide unless you happen to be Whitney Houston, which of course you're not. I love what you said about how much a Tony Braxton style song would lend itself to Britney's natural range. Are you surprised that she's singing a Whitney Houston song? Or is this just kind of the sign of the times where it's like, if you're a little girl and you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you're going to sing a Whitney Houston song? You know, I think that they're picking these songs because it's showing off that she is a talented singer. So for me, I get it. And I, I, I'm okay with that choice. It just baffles me how she went from these soulful singers who are belting, who are vocally so talented, and they do a complete flip and give her pop princess, have her sing in a, in a baby voice. Like they just take her in such a totally different direction than what she's showcasing to them. Yeah, I agree. It's this question that keeps coming up of, what is Britney's quote unquote true voice? And can it even be described in just one way? Because to your point, sometimes she's singing in this very kind of breathy head voice. Sometimes she's down low in her register and sometimes she's kind of in this mid poppy range. So we kind of get her all over the place. And later on in this chapter, we're going to talk about a little bit of behind the scenes of how she records her first single. But before we get there, we need to talk about Felicia. <laughs> this is how she is introduced in the book on page 49. Quote, my mother was teaching second grade now in Kentwood and Jamie Lynn was little. So we got our family friend, Felicia Culotta. I called her Miss Fee. I feel like I know Felicia. <laughs> Miss Fee is in... She's with Britney all the time. Any documentary footage that you see from Britney's early days, Miss Fee is there. Felicia is there. She seems very upbeat. She seems positive. She seems maternal. What? Britney having a maternal figure in her life is crazy. I don't know. I just, they were good friends. Are you not Team Felicia? It's interesting to me that she's very generally described as a family friend. And then she later on becomes the chaperone when Britney goes to Europe to record. She is the assistant. She appears as the teacher in the Baby One More Time music video. So you're right, Erin. She's everywhere. The, the history of it is a little bit murky. Also, I'm suspicious of anyone who has had a sustained relationship to Britney over the course of the last few decades, knowing what happened during the conservatorship. I know that Felicia was estranged for her from for a time, but that conservatorship didn't come out of thin air. I don't know. I just have a bad feeling. 
Interesting. I really, again, substantiated in nothing. I just have a bad feeling. That's fascinating. I Yeah, I have always kind of wondered how she was chosen. Um, like, you know, she's got an aunt. She's There are other people. And why isn't her mom Cousins. doing this? She has a mother. <laughs> again, I blame Lynn. Yeah. And Jamie. And also Jamie. Interesting. Yeah, I've ne- I guess I've never thought about that and like what are her actual intentions um but everything that I I feel like the footage that I have seen and I haven't seen a ton recently but I have always looked back at like thank god for this woman who is there to keep Brittany safe I feel like she kept things very light everything she was always very playful with Brittany again I feel like she was so much more maternal than Britney's own mother. That's not saying a lot. I completely agree with that. <laughs> and I don't want to jump ahead, but also Miss Fee shows up in some pretty bad scenes in the near future. I would argue that she is complicit in some stuff that happens, some yeah. bad stuff that happens. So I don't know. I mean, TBD. TBD. We'll, we'll see. We'll see about you, Miss Fee. So we're going to file this next section of the chapter under random stories why is it in there she tells this story about how she runs into a screen door at a barbecue and says isn't it funny that 25 years later the story sticks with me and i was so devastated she's britney spears and she has been scrutinized for decades and this stands out to her running into a screen door so much that she devotes maybe a a quarter of a chapter to it (laughs) Again, I, uh, there's, this to me feels, when this random stuff comes up, this is where I'm like, this ghostwriter is doing a number on this book. But to your point, yes, I do think that that's funny that she, it's saying that this is, um, what did devastated? Not devastated. It's a D word. Yeah. She uses the word. She was Devastated? devastated. It sticks out as one of like the most embarrassing moments of her life. This is a woman who shaved her head and attacked a paparazzi member with an umbrella and running into the screen door almost gets not as much of a word count closer to that than not. So I I thought maybe is the lesson here that no matter how famous you are, no matter how big your life is, Are there these moments that happen to you when you're a teenager that just leave a scar? Is that why for so many people, high school is such a traumatic experience? I I probably sound like a complete asshole asking such an obvious question, but it, it is meant to be rhetorical. And it is something that I thought of as I was reading this very random kind of confusing story that she's recounting but it did make me think of things that happened to me in like the seventh grade when I was so self-conscious and I felt so embarrassed and much worse has happened to me since I think about those things and they yeah they stick with you those are the things the experiences that that make a mark and leave like a lasting impression yeah I can and things that you look back and go if I if that happened to me now I wouldn't care like that's it's not a big deal yeah it is as mundane as running into a screen door it's like oh gosh (laughs) and she ran into a screen door she was in a room full of high-powered executives when it happened so yeah that's embarrassing but yeah on the grand scheme on the scale of Britney embarrassment um 
that should not should not be quite so high and then she gets into some of the backstory some of the behind the scenes of recording her first hit which is baby one more time she is very inspired by the sound of soft cells tainted love which i thought was interesting because you don't necessarily think of that song immediately when you hear her singing but then when you hear about the inspiration behind the delivery you think oh okay i can i can kind of see what she was doing there she says because of that because of wanting to kind of replicate that sound she purposefully stayed up late the night before so that when she went into the studio her voice sounded tired and fried. She did it on purpose. Yeah, she's a real method actor slash singer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I also think this is the first, it almost sounds in this section that she's taking a little bit of ownership for this vocal choice. Whether this is actually how it happened or not, she very easily could have said that was something I was told to do. But she takes responsibility for it and ownership for kind of going with this different sound. Absolutely. This is the first time in a series of many times, I would argue, that she has a lot more agency in the direction that her vocals are taking and also the imagery is taking in her music videos than you might think if you didn't know these backstories. So I loved hearing about recording Baby One More Time. And I will say that I wanted so much more of this kind of backstory with a lot of her other hits that we don't really get in the book. Did you kind of feel a void in terms of like, oh, I want to hear about Oops, I did it again. And I want to hear about you recording Toxic. <laughs> this book has done nothing but leave us with many a void. And that <laughs> is certainly um, a void that I would like to have filled. I, I really loved this section. Max Martin. I love everything that she's done when she's worked with Max Martin. It sounds like they were a really good, they had a really good collaborative relationship. It was fun to read about them working together. And the other thing that is just stands out to me is how hard she worked for this album. And she talks about how like the recording studio is underground and that she is just recording for months and months and months trying to get everything right and trying to get everything perfect. I think that's one thing that you hear about Britney time and time again from the people who have worked with her is that she is so incredibly hardworking. And I think, I mean, you can see it here and I think she's continued it throughout her career. That is one thing that you cannot take away from this woman is her work ethic. It's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah, and she hasn't worked since the the crab shack <laughs> since the dawn of time <laughs> yeah. for people who don't know max martin is the mastermind behind aaron what would you say like 90 percent of all of the pop music that has come out and like hit the top 40 in the last 20 years or something crazy like that and her all of her hits I mean, obviously not all yeah. of them, but he was a huge part and piece of the career that she has. Absolutely. He has been in so many ways, kind of the, the one of the behind the scenes architects of what music sounds like today. Britney Spears 20 years ago, he's still producing Ed Sheeran, Ariana Grande, 
Pink, Taylor Swift, like he's still doing it right now as we speak. So, and then just to close things out uh, very quickly, my favorite part of the chapter, uh, they talk about, okay, all the songs are finished and someone else says, what else can you do? Do you want to dance? And the last sentence is, I said, do I want to dance? Hell yeah, I do. Yes. I want chapter on chapter on chapter of Britney talking about dancing. We don't get it, spoiler alert, but that's what I want. And if you were to end the book right here, you can just imagine that that's what follows because she is fine singer, maybe underrated in some ways, but she is without, without question, an amazing dancer. So this to me is like, this is end of act one, right? We have act one and the the producer comes out and he says, do you want to dance now? And she said, do I want to dance? Hell yeah, I do. And the lights go out. Yes, yes. End of act one. Mm-hmm. It's theatrical. I love, I, you're goosebumps. I loved that. Ooh, tears, tears. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on all of the socials to join in on the conversation. We would love to know your thoughts on the book. Until next time, happy reading.